Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. The Silver King is here to break down all things WWE. We're talking about SmackDown, we're talking about Raw, and there's plenty of news that has happened in the world of WWE this week. So we'll be talking about that as well. Joining me for the journey, as always, is none other than vintage Chris Benini, who you will hear from in a second. Why in a second? Because when we start the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, what we do on this show is take care of business right at the top. And taking care of business on this show means it's all about one thing. That's right. It's all about D5. That means five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts for your boys. Just head on over there, search Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Hopefully, you're already subscribed to us there. If you happen to listen on another platform, get iTunes, the Apple Podcast. Hit up, hit us up, give it, do us a favor, drop a five-star rating, leave a review, tell people why you love the show. Every review helps us gain more listeners. It bumps us up in their rankings as do the actual listenership of the show. And all of that is trending in the right direction. We've gotten a number of these five-star reviews over the last week. I appreciate you guys stepping up and doing that. Sometimes I even tweet the reviews. So you may see your review on our Twitter account, which just so happens to be at Getting Overcast. And why should you follow Getting Over on Twitter? It's a great question, Adam. Let me tell you. Uh, Not only do we tweet about wrestling all week long live, during Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. But we also do pre- and post-show polls for pay-per-views, and we do live audio. Live audio on Twitter Spaces, which is now accessible via iOS, Android, desktop, and mobile web. So you get special extra shows, usually ahead of pay-per-views, but also just sometimes when we feel like it or when big breaking news happens. That is how we will be using Twitter Spaces. I think the people who have been joining us frequently have loved it. We've had some with as many as 100 listeners, some with as few as 10. Uh, But, you know, depending on the news, depending on the timing, depending what happens, it's great for us to have that kind of platform to do some things. And the best way for you to follow and know when we do those special shows is by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So that's the business. It's out of the way. That means it's time to welcome in none other than my WWE and sometimes AEW, but usually WWE co-host Vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, this was an interesting week. Um, we were originally supposed to do AEW, you know, double or nothing shows together. You got behind with some work. You caught up a little bit. Uh, you got to watch a couple of the matches at the end of the show. What we'll do is we'll give you an opportunity to talk about double or nothing at the very end of today's show. If we have extra time and there's no telling whether we will, but straight up, did you enjoy that program? Yeah, from what I saw, it was good. Yeah, I was hoping to get more into it, but the in-laws actually came by this weekend uh, down from Indiana, so spent the weekend with them, first time seeing them in a long time, obviously with the pandemic now coming out of it, so uh, was was quite occupied, but had a great Memorial Day holiday weekend. Uh, did, you? Awesome. did you? Did uh, you? I took a one-day trip, and this is not the most exciting destination, I promise you. And no offense if anyone happens to live there. Uh, But I took a one-day trip from Delray Beach, which is where I live in South Florida, to Fort Pierce, Florida, which is about an hour and 15 minutes 
due north of me. And the reason I went there, there just so happens to be a couple breweries in that vicinity. I went up there with my buddy. Uh, we stayed overnight, went to a couple places. So shout out Isla Mirada Brewing. Obviously, their main locations in Isla Mirada, Florida, which is south in the Keys. But they had a second location up in Fort Pierce. It is fantastic. Really damn good brewery. Also want to give a shout out to a restaurant, 12A Bowie. Not Baba Bowie, 12A Bowie uh, over in Fort Pierce. One of the two best seafood restaurants I've ever been to in my entire life. It was just incredible. And I've never eaten more food or been more stuffed at a single meal probably in my entire life. That's how good it was. So um, I had a good trip. It was one day. I wish it was an entire weekend. Uh, but, you know, I, after that, no, I, I didn't really do anything special this weekend. I had some work to do. Um, and my buddy whose birthday it was was out of town. Normally we do something for him on Memorial Day. So it was a down weekend, I guess, in that regard. But hey, I got a lot accomplished and I got to prepare for the show. And, and really, I got to watch SmackDown and Dynamite weirdly for the first time ever back to back on yeah. Saturday because I didn't get to watch either of them Friday night because your boy may have been a little you know, too inebriated at, at that time. <laughs> um, so it was a good weekend. Yes, not not the traditional Memorial Day weekend, but a very good weekend nonetheless. Good. Hope everybody listening had a good weekend as well. Absolutely. I, I'm glad you brought it up because it's very rare that we do a show that coincides so directly with a holiday. Uh, but this is certainly June 1st that we're taping this episode and, and Memorial Day obviously just came and went. But we're here not to talk about beer drinking or seeing the in-laws or really even AEW. We're here to talk WWE. And I think generally, real quick before we get to the main event, I just kind of wanted to say it wasn't the best week for WWE. It doesn't necessarily mean it was bad. SmackDown was still good, but it was weaker than normal. Maybe because of the holiday, they just decided not to go like full frog into it. And Raw was fresher than usual. There was a, more different things that happened over the course of the show, but there was just so much nonsensical booking that it was really tough to buy into it as a better episode than normal. But I will say Raw at least seems to be trending in the right direction, even though it's still trending like below the line of good wrestling. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, it was also interesting, like you said, kind of sandwiched around a big AEW weekend. It felt like WWE, knowing that, knowing the holiday weekend, maybe didn't feel like it wanted to put forth its best effort. And I think the SmackDown viewership numbers kind of back that up, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone has to remember, forget just WWE, both shows, SmackDown, Raw, NXT and AEW, they're all going up against the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs, you know, less important, yeah. uh, despite I know many of you, I'm sure, are hockey fans uh, and Memorial Day weekend. So they had a lot of competition numbers, I think, said that SmackDown was at one point seven million. It's usually at two or two point one. Uh, AEW Dynamite moved from Wednesday to Friday and started at 10 p.m. Due to the NBA playoffs, I think got 500,000. You know, usually they're around the 900,000. So that's like half of their audience. So it just wasn't a good week for wrestling TV shows to put forth their full effort. But AEW had no choice uh, because that was the go home show for their pay per view. WWE, I think, was able to kind of scale it back a little bit, knowing still that they had three more weeks to go until Hell in a Cell. And that is what we're going to talk about now. Everything that happened on SmackDown. And Raw, on this show, we start with the hot topics. And that means we begin in the main event. And as we almost always do, we will start the main event talking about 
Roman Reigns. And there was a period of time where saying those words was not a good thing. But these days, at least in my opinion, Chris, it's a very good thing. Now, a lot happened with Roman and the Usos on SmackDown. It took out took up about an hour of the show. And it seems to do that every week. We will talk a little bit more about that at the end of this Roman Reigns segment. But because of that, and because so many things happened, we're going to have to attack this in parts. Uh, it's right. just the way we need to go through it because there's so much to talk about, give opinions on, and wade into. The big match that opened the show was the Usos against the Street Profits, advertised from last week, something I was exceedingly looking forward to. Uh, the Usos were getting pumped up before the match, and Roman Reigns asked about their endgame. Like, why are they having a tag team match? Which was a strange question to ask. Would It would be a strange question to ask for anyone else except Roman Reigns in this situation. Jimmy said they wanted to win the tag team titles, uh, and they wanted that to match Roman's Universal Championship. Reigns wished them luck. Then he gave Jay the side eye, kind of behind Jimmy's back. Jay told Reigns he had his back, not to worry, and Roman said that he should tell Jimmy that. The Prophets then antagonized them on the mic before the match, and Jimmy cut a hell of a promo back at them about being the best tag team in the business. Jay kind of started cutting one back as well, but he was just out of his mind, kind of going crazy. And they're really leaning into this guy being brainwashed and actually affected by the stuff, the conditioning, the grooming, I guess, to some degree, that Roman Reigns is doing to him. But I thought the first 10 minutes of SmackDown was fire. It further established the Reigns storyline, and it gave even more purpose and excitement to a match that I was already looking forward to. Yeah, this is, it's an interesting dynamic between them and, and and it comes back into play a bit later too on as we'll get into it with the show but again smackdown takes an interesting topic an interesting story and it develops throughout the two hours and it's like that's how you tell stories it's not like we get something at the beginning and then three hours later we get it in the main event of the show things evolve and that's why when you're watching smackdown it's hard to pull away and come check back in later because you might miss something. And, and, and that's exactly what started to play out with this Jay and Roman stuff. And that's not just good wrestling television. That's good television. Yeah. Like you want people to be engaged throughout your show. You don't necessarily want people picking up their phones because they're bored at whatever they're seeing on TV. And I think SmackDown is doing a really good job of that specifically with this storyline. And as you kind of alluded to, um, it's not just a two hour storyline where it keeps you engaged through that. It's usually a four-week storyline, like, and that's inside of a four, six, eight, twelve-month. Like, we don't know when the storyline is going to end, right? This is a true long-term storyline, yeah. and I think this night, this past Friday night on SmackDown, was not necessarily the first time, but maybe the most obvious tying back into things that happened previously in the storyline. Yeah, we're coming. I like, mean, we're not we're not far off from a year since Roman came back. We're not, right. And, and it's, it's drawing it's, those it's, threads. Yeah, it's completely evolved. It's gone back into other stuff and, and, and calling back to stuff. So it's been it's been really captivating. Yeah, the callbacks here in particular were really interesting. But before we get to the storyline, let's go to the match. Uh, Montez Ford hit a couple step-up in Zaguri's, and Jay pulled Angela Dawkins off the ring apron to avoid what would have been a hot tag. Jimmy caught Ford with a pop-up Samoan drop for a near fall. Then the action picked up. Ford did a freaking... I almost cursed. Bat shit crazy tope cannonball over the ring post to take out Jay. It's not that he's never done it before, but the way he did this, it was like a bat out of hell. Like I yeah. just never seen 
someone do a move like that, including like in, incredible top tier luchadors, Ray Phoenix, all these guys, just the height he gets on his moves is absolutely incredible. Uh, Pat McAfee went nuts and he gave a great line. He was like, if there's fans, there'd be a bad word, uh, holy bad word chant. If there was a crowd. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Uh, then Dawkins hit Jimmy with the anointment for a 2.9, followed with a spine buster. But Jay pulled Jimmy to the ropes as Ford missed a frog splash. Jimmy then caught Ford with a great super kick. Another awesome call by McAfee, who said, Air Force One to the jaw. I love that. <laughs> and the Usos picked up a clean win over the Street Profits. Not only was this a great match, but the match story was fantastic. What they actually told us about in the ring. It went 25 minutes, but the profits started smoother. They were more cohesive and comfortable because they've been wrestling together. There was hardly any double team action from the Usos. They basically operated as two individuals who tagged in with each other. They didn't really do the double team moves and stuff. And Jay, the guy who's been wrestling and has the main event nickname, ended up saving his brother, who is just kind of getting back into it and shaking up off the cobwebs, allowing their team to win. This was really well wrestled. It was really smart and exciting. I wrote down on my paper here, 3.75 stars and a B plus. But now that I'm actually going back and talking about the match story, I'm going to go up a little bit. I'm going to give it four stars and an A minus. That was a fantastic match. And the story made it even better than the action. Yeah, I was going to say this was an incredible match. I was thinking at least four stars. If If there was a crowd... I mean, if that, oh, AEW, yeah. if that AEW crowd got to be there for this match, oh my God, it would have blown the roof off this place. And it took like, I think the first about half hour of the show, like they get, they, they went long. They made this count. The the hype for it, the promos uh, last week and coming into it were good. It's like, again, they just, they interweave these stories. There's the Jane Roman stuff happening, but there's also the Usos Street Profits thing. There, you feel that there's a real like, animosity there a real okay street profits you guys have been on you guys have been one of the top teams for more than a year now but don't forget about the usos and how great we were before you came on up and it was like it was a great reminder of just how awesome the usos are as a tag team and man this was a heck of a lot of fun now i'm like i'm actually literally torn in the storyline of like i like jay with roman but I like the Usos. I can feel the tension that Jay is feeling, right? Because because that's how they're setting this up. Just this, I had a, I had really high expectations for this match, and it and it absolutely met them. This was incredibly fun. Yeah, it actually exceeded my expectations a little bit, just because it's a TV match, and you never know. Are we going to get a clean finish? The yeah. Usos are involved. You know, Reigns isn't going to help them, but maybe. Jay's going to cheat and the referee will catch him and it'll be a DQ. Like you just don't we, necessarily we, know. Yeah, we thought we, I mean, people thought Jay might abandon Jimmy during the match. Right. And, and right. decide to leave some instead of just clean straight up match. And I think that adds to the tension. Yes. And I saw some people, oh, you know, the Street Profits are getting buried. No, they're not. Like face no, teams no, <laughs> are allowed to lose. They were champions for the better part of an entire year. They were tired, quote unquote, the the. Uh, raw titles to move over to SmackDown were basically just given the championships. So I didn't really care that they lost them to the Dirty Dogs. And I don't care that they're not at the top of the pecking order now. The problem is there's only like five tag teams on SmackDown or or four tag teams on, sorry, five tag teams on SmackDown. Uh, Three of them are heels and two are faces and the champions are faces. So it's good right now because there's heel tag teams for the Mysterios to go between. But once a heel wins the title again, there's really 
nowhere for them to go except for those two teams. And, and who knows how long the Mysterios are going to be operating in a tag team role. So again, we'll get to that a little bit later because we are going to talk about the Mysterios against the Dirty Dogs later in this segment. The Usos celebrated backstage with Jimmy telling Adam Pierce they wanted a title match next week. Pierce happily agreed, uh, but Jay looked upset. Jay later sat with Reigns, who asked him why he wanted a title match when he should be focused on Reigns. uh, Roman reminded him that he is now main event Jay Uso, but got relegated to the opening match of SmackDown now that Jimmy is back. Then Reigns said he didn't want Jay to go back to a place where people wondered, which one are you? Which was an incredible callback to Jay's original promo as the feud relationship whatever you want to call it, with Reigns, began. Jay seemed to understand what he was saying. And Chris, as if I didn't like the rest of this storyline enough on Friday, this to me just put it over the top. Reigns was devious. He was methodical and continued to get into Jay's head and break him down. This is just top-tier booking and storytelling. There's nothing better than a heel who's right. And... Everything Roman said was true. When when they're the Usos together, you try to make sure, oh, wait, which one is that? And it's true that he was main eventing WrestleMania before Jimmy came back. And now he's on main the opening SmackDown. Ma- ma- sorry, Smackdown. main eventing SmackDown. Yeah. And now he's opening the show. Now, we know why they opened the show and it was a great match. We just said that. But like in kayfabe, right. that's. Perfect. It's a perfect explanation. That's it, you, it, it's exactly the right way to try to manipulate him. Uh, and it was just really, really well done. It was awesome. Now, let's move on to we'll stay with the tag team picture here because it all kind of factors in to what we're talking about. The SmackDown tag team titles were on the line in the main event of the show, which, as Chris basically alluded to, is why this opened the show. <laughs> like it wasn't yes. it wasn't because the Usos suck and they put him in the opening match. Uh, But the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, the Mysterios defended against the Dirty Dogs. Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode admitted on the mic that their strategy was flawed at the pay-per-view as they gave Rey Mysterio a reason for his paternal instincts to kick in. The Mysterios cut a short promo later backstage, and then Rey got attacked while he was praying, like was supposed to be off camera, before the match. In the ring, the dogs said they had nothing to do with the attack, but because Rey couldn't go, they wanted a forfeit. And Dominic decided to go at it on his own and walk down to the ring. Uh, Dominic took a beating early, but then he went on a run where he was getting over two on one on a pair of former world champions, Ziggler in WWE. And obviously we talked about Rude in TNA slash Impact. Ziggler dodged a 619, but Dominic kicked out of a Famouser. The dogs were getting ready to hit their brand new finisher when Ray finally made his entrance and Dominic caught Rude folding him over for the win. The Usos immediately hit the ring and Reigns looked really pissed off backstage to see the Usos confronting them and getting excited about a title match. So it's one thing, in my opinion, Chris, for the Mysterios to win the titles this way by having Dominic get attacked and Ray go at it on his own. I didn't like it in the moment because they shouldn't, the the champions look weaker when they're losing basically two on one, the tag team titles to just an individual dude especially when it's someone Mysterio, despite him being a legend. I mean, I'm not detracting from him at all, but he's an older guy and he's going two two and one against active, you know, wrestlers who are competing weekly. And Dominic, a neophyte who's 24 years old. Now you're reversing it and having this 24 year old basically go over two world champions 
on his own, at least be able to hang with them in the ring simultaneously. To me, that makes the Dirty Dogs look like shit twice after they went on a really nice run as champions. I know it's not going to hurt them in kayfabe because you can't really hurt Dolph Ziggler in kayfabe and you can't really hurt Robert Roode by extension of that because they're not built strong enough where, you know, you can knock them down far enough. But I don't see why you don't try to keep them strong. Like, why not let the Mysterios win with an entire match being together, given they're the new champions? This didn't make sense for them to split them up a second time due to injury when you just kind of want them to fight together. Like their father and son tag team, the entire thing that attracts me to it is them being a father and son tag team working together. (laughs) And instead, I'm getting two singles matches where I'm not seeing them do tag team moves and work together. So I just think it's shit booking, despite the result being totally fine. Yeah, this whole thing was weird, and I was not a fan for a lot of the reasons you just said. I don't think anybody looks good out of it. I mean, I get the Mysterios, they're holding their own in in one-on-two matches, but that just makes the Dirty Dogs look really bad. We've seen way too much of these teams together the last month plus. you got to, like, separate them from time to time and bring them back together. You can't just every week have them fight each other. That's a problem WWE often has uh, in its history. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of frustrating, kind of strange. Didn't really like anything about this. So that's kind of kind of my thoughts. It, there was no title change, so nothing major happened. So nothing's, nothing's damaged by any means, but just uh, get some different matchups in here let's do something else and and don't keep having the dirty dogs continue to lose a lot of these matches because i don't think it helps anybody and just let me see the new tag team champions wrestle together yeah the father-son team i want to see them be a father-son team just have them just put yeah just put two singles people who aren't doing anything together like this is what i've been saying the last couple weeks just you got it you got to show us things you can't just tell us have you know have um the mysterious just beat a couple random teams for like one or two weeks to kind of build something up. I mean, you talked about on the AW instant analysis, uh, Lance Archer seems to always lose. Like you gotta, you gotta build someone up by showing victories. You can't just keep saying things. So I think there's ways to draw it out instead of just doing singles matches over and over and all these, all these roll up surprise finishes. And then it's a, it's a one on two. It's, it's just, it's been the same thing for like a month now. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you're right. Like they're, I understand they forced this or pushed this, to happen quickly, the rematch, because they want to move on to the Uso storyline. I totally get it, right? And, and that's fine. But just allow them to beat the Dirty Dogs as a team and say, see, they're better than the Dirty Dogs straight up without an attack. And, you know, and move on. Like, yes, I guess technically them being attacked twice and still winning the titles and then defending them against the Dirty Dogs technically makes them look, I guess, in WWE's eyes, stronger because they were able to overcome adversity. But I don't really want them overcoming adversity. I just want them to be the champions and win matches. And yes, I at least would have put a little bit more air between them and the Usos. And we can talk about it briefly. I mean, do you think the Usos are going to win the titles next week or this week? I think it's possible. I think it's I I mean, I could see the Usos winning. I could see maybe Roman interfering and not having them win or, or something like that, or Roman Jay walking out. Like yeah. We or like like we talked week. about before, like there's a lot of different possibilities and it makes me re- really excited for this match. Cause I think there's a lot of different ways that can go that would work. So yeah, I, I mean, can the Usos win? Certainly. I, I think a lot of things can happen and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm leaning towards the Mysterios 
retaining because Jimmy screwed up and them getting a rematch at the pay-per-view or something like that. But yeah, I just want to see the Mysterios wrestle as a team. I don't think that's yeah. too much to ask. And that's a fair criticism too. Like, I'm not saying it's bad, but is it a little bit bullcrap? Yeah, it's a little bit bullcrap. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and look, we'll, we'll end on this because we talked a lot about Roman Reigns and the Usos and we praised it extensively, right? Since we almost endlessly praise the Reigns stuff, I do have one criticism here. Yeah. Because as good as it is and as important as Reigns is to WWE, Fox and SmackDown, they really are starting to spend far too much time on it every single week. It's always... 60 minutes of Reigns and his family, and then an hour to do everything else on SmackDown combined. That results in short matches, rush storylines, and people just being completely left out on the sh- of the show entirely. They have to rein it back, pun intended, I guess, to at least 40 minutes a show. Like, you can't, because you're doing this, you're having a men's singles match that's lasting three minutes. That match should be six, seven, eight, or 10 minutes. And it's purely because they're using so much screen time for Roman Reigns, Jay and Jimmy Uso now involved as well. So that's my criticism. It's something I mentioned, obviously, earlier in the show. I just think they got to figure out a way to rein it back a little bit because you have a large roster and people, despite them really loving the Roman Reigns storyline, number one, they can get burnt out of it pretty quickly. It's possible. And number two, you have a huge roster that is absolutely loaded. Like WWE's roster in general is large. The SmackDown one, though, is way stronger in terms of talent, top to bottom, than the Raw roster is. And people either aren't getting on TV or when they do get on TV, they're not getting enough time. And it's because they're spending so much time on Roman Reigns. I I think that's fair. The one thing I would say is that a, a good chunk of it has been elevating other stories like there, there's been Cesaro Rollins in this for a little bit there we're going to have Mysterios in it now we have the Street Profits in it at least it's not like only those four guys over and over there they're tying they're jumping into other stories to kind of put a highlight on them as well so it's a I, I don't think you're wrong but I think at least it's it's not like oh it's this is just a Roman segment it's oh it's the Roman segment and the Seth segment or, or, or in a street profits type of deal. And I think that's why the show has flowed well, because it doesn't feel like we're stopping jumping into Roman stuff then jumping out of it because it's kind of it's it's flowed together well, at least. But you're right. There's a lot of talent on that roster that is not getting a lot of time. And this is probably several, several weeks in a row now where we talk yeah. about something good on SmackDown that we wish had more time. Right. Exactly. I think it's probably been a month where it's been an overindulgence of the Roman Reigns. Like, And I could be wrong kind of relating it back to this, but I think back to like the Attitude Era, they did long-term storylines across, you know, two hours and then eventually three hours of Raw involving Stone Cold Steve Austin. But it didn't include Austin being on screen for the entire show. Like they kept going back to him, but every time you would see him, he'd be on for 60 seconds or four minutes or whatever the case. It wasn't just like an hour of a three-hour show on Stone Cold Steve Austin. However, if you watch WCW, because the NWO ended up being so large and there were so many people in it, you would often get an episode of Nitro where like 90 minutes of the two hours was all about the NWO. But again, there were more people in it. It was a large faction. 
This is really just one dude who's a champion who has a right-hand man. And because of that, it's it's kind of combining those two. And I think it's doing it in a way that isn't the most productive to tell the other stories that SmackDown badly needs to tell. But we'll talk about the rest of SmackDown later in the show, Chris. Let's move over to Raw, the big storyline there. And that was the number one contendership match between Drew McIntyre and Kofi Kingston. Now we had Bobby Lashley, MVP, and the ladies. They arrived in the VIP lounge backstage (laughs) early in the show. McIntyre cut a promo saying, hey, maybe Kingston would have won the WWE title sooner if he had put his career before his family like Drew did. (laughs) Good line. Kofi later said his success is all because of his friends and family and that he's done something McIntyre hasn't in three months of of matches. And that's pin Bobby Lashley. They were both friendly, but confrontational to each other in the promos. Lashley and MVP basically said they didn't like Adam Pierce's ruling that they'd be suspended for 90 days without pay if they interfered or went to ringside, but they would abide by it. So that was the entire thing that happened backstage. I don't think there's much to actually break down about that. We'll get to the match. The match started hot with Kofi hitting a trust fall outside before McIntyre dumped him into the timekeeper's area and hit a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Kofi wiggled out and countered an avalanche move into a powerbomb of McIntyre off the second rope. McIntyre countered the SOS and then countered Trouble in Paradise into a truly ridiculous swinging Future Shock DDT. <laughs> it was like the Future Shock DDT plus Cesaro's swing. And yeah. Move. That was and I've cool. never seen him do that before, dude, but like... He should do that all the time with smaller guys. Like, I assume they plan that, but like the way it happened in the match almost felt like he just came up with that on the fly. It felt like improv. It did. Yeah, it really did. But yeah, I'm sure they planned it, though. Um, He got another near fall after a perfect spine buster and a jackknife cover. Then Kofi hit a thrust kick for a 2.5 count. McIntyre threw Kofi off the top rope, but Kingston countered the Claymore with trouble in paradise. And that was a great false finish. McIntyre grabbed the rope really late to break the cover. Kofi then got a hurricanrana, a punt kick, and double stomp outside, but McIntyre caught him flying off the second rope with a claymore for the win. They shook hands afterward, Lashley's music hit, and McIntyre stared him down from the stage. So let's start with what was undoubtedly good, and that was the match. This was terrific. It was just as good as the SmackDown tag team match, but in a different way. That one was heavy storyline driven with good action. This was all just really good action. There wasn't much story to the match other than, you know, Kofi really getting the upper hand on McIntyre. I think for a majority of the match, Kofi did work the face side of the match if you wanted to pick a face side. So I'm actually going, Chris, with the exact same grade, (laughs) four stars and an A minus. These two worked really well together. They put on a show. The finish was squeaky clean after last week's bullshit. I told you guys that I was going into this expecting Mace or T-Bar to interfere (laughs) just because I was being a pessimist. And I said, as long as that did not happen, that I would enjoy the match. That did not happen. But they also put on a freaking banger. So yes, I enjoyed the match very much. Yeah, I mean, it was a really good match last week and we were upset that such a good long match ends with an interference. They They made up for it with giving them another long match with a clean finish. That was really good. These two have really good chemistry together. I mean, Drew working with small guys or smaller guys tends to work pretty well because he can he can get around. He was, you know, taking Hurricane Rana's and, and moving around and like, you know, the, the swinging DD, the swinging uh, uh, DDT there. This is great. This is fun. I, it, it's it, again, it's a fun dynamic when it's 
something a little bit different. It's a face versus a face, but you understand why they both want to win and you understand why they both have a case. And so it was a it, it two weeks now of a fresh matchup that we hadn't seen before. It's not something we're running back a million times. Now, now we're getting a not fresh match with the Hell in a Cell as a result, but as it relates to Raw, this was super fun. And that's where I'm mixed, Chris, as far as the booking, because the match was good, but we do need to evaluate the decision making here. We've already seen versions of this match, basically, at the last two pay-per-views, and I could be wrong, but I I thought McIntyre got a singles match against Lashley on Raw in a rematch, but maybe he didn't. Maybe I'm misremembering that. But we got the match one-on-one at WrestleMania, Drew lost. We got the triple threat at WrestleMania Backlash. Drew didn't take the fall, but he lost. Um, Now we're basically getting it three months in a row. And what I feel like WWE is doing is making the same mistakes with Drew McIntyre that they did with John Cena and that they did with Roman Reigns when he was a face. They are making fans fatigued with this guy either being champion or the number one contender every single month. Like, I honestly can't think of a scenario or a time period where McIntyre was not either the champion or the number one contender. Because when Randy Orton beat him from the title, he was immediately the number one contender and won the title back. They didn't even give us any room for that to breathe. So that's what we've been dealing with for an entire year with Drew McIntyre. And it started well when he won the title at WrestleMania, because you remember pre-pandemic from the Royal Rumble, really from December before the Royal Rumble, up until fans left, he was getting massive pops. Yeah. He was doing great business and he was really over as a baby face. Yep. But the way that they've booked him this entire year, I mean, it's been strong. They've given him opportunities and situations in which he's lost. So it's not full John Cena. But the, the, the main event picture needs to be able to exist without this guy. And yep. for the last 14 months, it simply has not. No. I mean, he carried the company for the early stages of the pandemic and did a great job. I really liked seeing him on my TV pretty much all of 2020. But when that match finished on Monday, my first thought was, if there was a crowd here, they would have booed. Yes, they would I, I mean, it was face versus face, but they, they would have booed if McIntyre won that match. And, and, and maybe they know that. We, we, we talked last week. You brought it up. Would you do Drew at Hell in a Cell and then Kofi at SummerSlam because you think fans would like that more? I thought WWE might do the opposite. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to SummerSlam. They may try to do something even bigger considering it's going to be a massive show. But yeah, I'm fatigued from Drew McIntyre in the main event picture. Not not him in general necessarily, but he uh, he's been with he's been dealing with MVP for like a year now. It's, I, I want to see him like get fresh matchups like Kofi. I want to see him go after other types of things and get involved with different people. I really liked him and Sheamus for a while there. And I think they'd make, they'd make a great tag team. You know, if, if you want to talk about get a guy in a position where you want to keep him face, but everybody will enjoy it, put him and Sheamus together as a tag team. And I think you can get a lot out of that, but it, it, you know, he's going to be going for the title again at hell in the cell. I'm not going to pick a, a McIntyre win, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of Drew McIntyre. In the main event, I don't think it needs to be. Well, that's the tough thing here. And that's why I'm questioning the booking and why we need to talk it through. Because look, Hell in a Cell is in a couple of weeks, three weeks. 
And as I said, we just got this match or versions of this match in back-to-back months. So they're giving us a repeat match once more. But fans are back, finally, in July, at Money in the Bank. And then they're doing SummerSlam in a stadium. We believe it's going to be Elysian Stadium in Las Vegas, but apparently there's some other options as well, or they're just trying to muddy the waters so they can officially announce it Saturday, I think, during the Belmont Stakes on NBC. Why they're doing that, I have no idea, but that's another story for another day. But fans are back soon. So this is the conversation we had last week, and I'm not going to repeat the entire thing. But our thought process was one of two. Either you have Kofi win this match and become the number one contender. And if you do that, the reasons for it is to give Drew McIntyre a break and give fans a break from Drew McIntyre. You let Kofi Kingston win this match. You let him lose to Bobby Lashley at Hell in a Cell. Maybe there's some shenanigans, something happens. You want to do a rematch? Sure. You get Kofi Kingston against Bobby Lashley in front of fans at Money in the Bank. And then Drew McIntyre, you've given him two months of a break. You put him back with Lashley. And you finally give Drew McIntyre the crowning moment you wanted him to have 14 months ago at WrestleMania, now at SummerSlam. That's a great piece of booking. The other thing you could do, which may be what is happening here, is you have Drew McIntyre fight Bobby Lashley because you're not planning to put the title on him. And you just want to get this kind of out of the way. You have McIntyre lose to Lashley. He doesn't have any reason to contend for the title anymore. And you spend the next two months building up Kofi Kingston. First, to maybe contend at Money in the Bank, or maybe you put someone else in that spot, but you actually build up Kofi Kingston to fight Bobby Lashley and take the title off Bobby Lashley at SummerSlam, knowing the response you got with Kofi as champion a couple of years ago at WrestleMania, you repeat it at SummerSlam and do, instead of Kofi Mania, Kofi Slam, right? What, what, like what, what would you think about Kofi winning it at like Money in the Bank? I think it's a feasible scenario. Then it's going to depend who wins Money in the Bank. And if it's a Raw person or a SmackDown person. Yeah. And then you worry that Kofi wins it at Money in the Bank and then gets cashed in on because WWE doesn't want him to be champion. They want the fan response, but they don't want Kofi to be champion, right? So I think that's a plausible scenario too. But I, I think the two I laid out are the most plausible if you care about making your fans happy at Money in the Bank, to your point, or at SummerSlam. But consider me a pessimist here. I'm looking at it like, are they really going to have Kofi Kingston win the WWE title again? And I don't believe they're going to. Like, I just, I, I wish they would because I love Kofi and I rooted for him all the way through Kofi Mania. I quote unquote, if you want to even say it, called Kofi Mania, like at the very beginning of it happening. I said, oh, holy shit, could you imagine the run that they could go on if they actually put the title on Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania? And, you know, I was with Brian Campbell at the time on the podcast and we didn't think they would actually do it. But it came to fruition in every way, very similar to how I expected it to. And it could happen here as well. But maybe I'm just pessimistic that they're going to do that when they have this guy in Drew McIntyre, who we just said, they spent the last 14 months of this guy in the main event, either as champion or number one contender, but he never got his crowning moment in front of fans. And they chose not to give it to him at this year's WrestleMania. So I don't know what they're going to do. And like I said, maybe I'm just being pessimistic. But if they give us McIntyre here and he loses and they don't have someone take the title off Lashley. And I have to believe it would be Kofi or maybe a returning Keith Lee at SummerSlam. Then 
I don't understand the booking because you could have saved McIntyre for SummerSlam and finally crowned him like you wanted to 14 months ago. Yeah, I, I'm skeptical they would crown Drew. It felt like WrestleMania would have been the time to do it because he was supposed to do it at the previous WrestleMania. But I don't know. I guess I could see them saying, no, let's give it to Lashley, run it a few more months and then give it to Drew. I, if Drew was going to win at SummerSlam, though, I don't think he would be in this match. So I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I think a lot of SummerSlam, who the heck knows? I think they're going to try to do something big at Money in the Bank. It's the second show with fans after they come back. Maybe it's Raw, maybe it's SmackDown, I don't know. But I do think something big is going to happen at Money in the Bank. Maybe it's Kofi, maybe it's something else, I don't, I don't know. They could also kind of set up Kofi to win the Money in the Bank briefcase is another Right, scenario. yes. I'm just, I'm a little worried when you see McIntyre in this match, but maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe I should be looking at it from the perspective that I gave on the podcast last week, which by the way, Brett Charles Milam at Brett underscore Milam on Twitter reminded me that I gave this perspective <laughs> and I, I, I forgot. I, I, I thought I was predicting Kofi to win this match, but apparently I said what I would prefer them to do is have Drew win for the reasons I already mentioned. So if they do it and if they actually push Kofi and roll in this direction, then I'm all in. That's incredible. Um, but I, I find it a little hard to believe they're going to. And I don't know. We'll see. Let's see how it rolls on post Hell in a Cell. That's the only really way that we can judge. We know that we're going to get Lashley and McIntyre and tag team matches probably over the next couple of weeks with Lashley finding someone to help him. Maybe Cedric Alexander comes back by his side uh, and maybe McIntyre teams up with Kofi and they do tags and whatever the hell. Um, but we'll get to that match. The question's going to be, what happens that Monday night after Hell in a Cell? That's what I'm going to be curious to see. Where the hell do they go with the WWE Championship after, I presume, McIntyre loses to Lashley? Because if you're going to have McIntyre beat Lashley in front of no fans, then this is really dumb. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. that is, this is the dumbest booking ever yeah, if you have McIntyre. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen, yeah. I think we forgot to, I, that was some, another point I was going to make as we were having the conversation. I forgot to make it. But the whole thing is, if you have Drew win, this is worthless and really stupid when you could have saved it. So, all right, look. We'll move on. We've got a lot more to talk about, but I am kind of curious to see what happens here. Um, but that's why I'm mixed on it. I'm not going to go and praise it. I'm not going to go and shit on it. We're just going to have to see what WWE's plan is, and hopefully they have a good one because the return of fans is so important. Now, before we get out of the main event and talk about everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw, I did have two quick news items to discuss. We actually have a couple more news items to talk about at the end of the show. But one of them is Chris... There seems to be some growing momentum for Cardi B to be the host at SummerSlam. Yeah. She had a bunch of Twitter interactions, if you remember, with WWE superstars during the pandemic. She grew up a WWE fan during the Attitude Era. They're using now her song Up uh, for a SummerSlam commercial that I saw on Peacock, but apparently that aired during SmackDown and it definitely aired last night during Raw. Yeah. And WWE being able to promote her as host maybe even with a performance, is great when you're talking about in front of a live stadium crowd since they're going to run it at a massive venue. I just think that, yes, is Cardi B problematic for things that happened before she started her career? Yes, she is. But knowing the success and mainstream buzz they got with Bad Bunny and knowing they have someone in Cardi B who actually at one point in her life really loved wrestling, I don't think they could pick a better person 
to possibly be a host slash musical performer at SummerSlam. No, I mean, if WWE can get that, if that's happening, that is humongous for them in terms of mainstream attention. And it would be absolutely huge. Like, again, she's someone who likes wrestling. And this kind of goes back to the Bad Bunny thing. Bad Bunny loved wrestling. And some people didn't really know who he was. I only knew him from the Corona commercials. He's the biggest artist in the world. And he was actually just on the barbershop with, I think it was LeBron James' show and Jay-Z was there. Yep. And Bad Bunny saying this was this was the greatest moment of his life. It was bigger than the <laughs> Grammys. It was he he put over wrestlers for the for the, all the work they go through, the pain that comes with taking bumps and everything and put WWE over huge on a platform with Jay-Z and LeBron James and stuff like that. If you can get Cardi B to come in and do something like that, like that's how you get real actual attention you're not just pulling stunts you you find celebrities who really like wrestling and take this seriously and enjoy doing it and everything is better for it so uh if the cardi b thing happens i mean again based on the song it seems like it's possible but if they can pull that off and she has said in the past she'd love to i i think that's an absolute win for wwe if they can do that it'd be awesome i have totally and then lastly jimmy smith made his Raw debut on play-by-play, replacing Adnan Verk last night. Uh, the best thing I can say about him is he did not sound out of place one iota, no. despite never having called wrestling before. Now, he did some limited work in NXT, as I mentioned on the show, uh, but nothing on commentary. He did a pre-show, and he did a v- couple video package um, you know, interviews. This is a former MMA fighter with commentary experience on... MMA, he worked for Bellator and UFC and American Ninja Warrior broadcast. So he was so much better suited for this role than Adnan Verk because he has that energy. He has the knowledge about fighting and he's able to relate that to, yes, is wrestling a fake sport? Sure. But it still requires someone with knowledge of what's happening to be able to describe the product on television. All in all, very similar to Pat McAfee on SmackDown, the first time, the first night he was on, I thought this was very solid, very good. And he has a chance to really grow into this role. And I'm not saying he's going to be Jim Ross. I'm not even going to say for all his faults and for all the way the WWE kind of, you know, holds him by the balls in some ways. I'm not even going to say he's going to be Michael Cole, right? But he brought a gravitas and a knowledge and an energy to the job that was welcome it was a huge difference from what we just had with Adnan Verk. And candidly, it was even a huge difference from what we've gotten previously with Tom Phillips and what we even get now uh, from Vic Joseph in NXT. I really enjoyed him on commentary and I'm very excited to see. We'll give him the same two month period that we were going to give Adnan Verk before it didn't last too much. Two months before, a couple weeks ahead of SummerSlam, I'm going to be really interesting to see what we have to say about the job Jimmy Smith is doing on Raw. Yeah, he sounded like a natural. It was really just everything felt smooth. He knew what he was talking about. There was one part I wrote down here where Reginald was Reginald come not doing his entrance and Jimmy Smith brings up uh, some wine that Corey had been Corey Graves had been trying and also right. comparing it to Byron's dance moves. And it was like, oh, it was like, that's the kind of thing you need in any commentary where it's like, hey, outside of what we're doing at this moment, you and I were hanging out and you said this or you did this and you kind of like kind of it, it, it brings you in more. It's real. Yeah, he, he it, it was directing traffic, but doing it in a way where it felt like it was 
some friends hanging out talking about this together. So that was really good. My only my my only nitpick with it is that they all kind of sound similar. They did, yeah. <laughs> Corey Byron yeah. and Jimmy Smith all kind of sounded alike. So there were moments where I had to like catch myself to figure out who was talking. Um, but in terms of the work they did, I thought it was really good. I did notice that he and Corey Graves in particular sound very similar. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is this who is this? I caught myself doing that two different times. But you know what? In sports and in wrestling, commentary is important, but it also shouldn't be so important that it distracts you. There's a certain person who does play by play for Fox. I won't say their name who actively distracts me when I'm watching sports broadcasts. But when I'm watching basketball on TNT or football on CBS or NBC or or really anywhere, I I know who those people are, but it does. I don't think about them during the broadcast. I enjoy the content that, that they provide me. And that's what Jimmy Smith did here. He was a good content provider and he kept the show moving and he was inquisitive, which is a really good thing to do from someone who is in a related world, but is just stepping into this world. So Two thumbs up for me on night one. And just like Adnan Verk, we're not going to talk about him every week. But two months from now, that's the trial period in our eyes. We'll come back. We'll evaluate him again. And then we'll probably maybe never talk about him again unless something really sticks out. But I did want to mention off the top that he deserves a lot of praise uh, because I thought he did a solid job. Now let's move on to everything else that went down on SmackDown and Raw. Let's start with the women. Uh, Bianca Belair fought Carmella in a non-title match. Carmella cut a promo in gorilla position about ending Belair's fairy tale. Bailey then came in and tormented Michael Cole on commentary <laughs> while arguing with McAfee the entire time. Uh, McAfee, sorry, <laughs> during the match. She was great as usual. I, I'm absolutely loving Bailey recently. Carmella hit an X factor on the ring apron, the hardest part of the ring for a near fall. Belair caught and lifted Mella after a flying crossbody into a fallaway slam. Mella got a 2.8 count on Belair after a long run of offense, but Belair countered another X-Factor into the Kiss of Death KOD for the win. Cole screwed up and called her Belanca <laughs> in the finish, and Bailey was all over him about that, which was awesome. But this was a good piece of business. It only went six minutes. That's okay. But it's what we always talk about, Chris, on this show. Give the women's champions singles showcase matches, especially now that she's a fresh new champion in Bianca Belair. It could have gone two minutes longer. Yes, I would have had it go eight or 10 if I was booking it. But all five people, Belair, Carmella, Bailey, Cole, and McAfee, did a great job in this segment. Yep, this is exactly what I've been asking for. Bianca looks stronger for this than any promo she could cut. Like, you just, you got to make her look good. And Carmella is an established person. She doesn't, she doesn't look so worse off for losing, for losing to the champion. Bailey was funny on commentary. Uh, this this is great. This is exactly everything that it needed to be and kind of moving things forward. I, uh, you know, Bianca Bailey still continuing, but I'm glad we're not just getting them continuing to fight each other. You have to kind of have other matches go on while the other person floats around in the background. I think that's the right way to do it. So this was this was good. Now over on Raw, we had Miz TV with Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. The Miz said he's injured for the first time in his career. That's reportedly a torn ACL, though he didn't say it on TV. But he didn't want to leave Raw without his star power, so he decided to return. They alluded to the zombie match just when I had forgotten about it, with John (laughs) Morrison wearing a garlic necklace that was used as a bad joke the entire segment about 
him being careful about vampires and zombies and really anything that could possibly hurt them. Flair came in, Ripley came in. They both cut really short, boring promos. Then Nikki Cross came in and challenged the winner of the title match at Hell in a Cell because she beat the clock against Ripley last week. Ripley said Cross earned her respect, but Flair completely dissed her. Nikki then slapped Charlotte and they fucking ran back the two-minute challenge, which you knew was coming, but you were praying wasn't going to come. So you get Flair and Cross in a two-minute beat-the-clock challenge match. Nikki outsmarts Charlotte by playing to the stipulation to her credit and staying away from her until there were 40 seconds left. Cross hit a tornado DDT, and then she outlasted Flair. My thoughts are identical to last week. It's an insulting, stupid stipulation being that the time limit was only two minutes. not If you want to make it the same exact storyline, but have it be good, make it 10 minutes. Or even five minutes I could probably stomach where they're actually wrestling. It's not getting me interested in Ripley Flair to have this thing happen with Nikki Cross. And Nikki Cross is being made to look like a scrub. It doesn't make a shred of sense why this would be the booking. Do I like that Nikki may be the number one contender after this freaking feud is over? Of course I do, because it's different and I like Nikki Cross. But you're supposed to build a number one contender with substantial, clean victories. Have her beat Lana, have her beat Naomi, have her beat Dana Brooke. Not call her a troll. Literally, they called her a troll. I believe Flair called her a troll in the segment. And have her find her way into the match by happenstance. If you want to do a five-minute beat-the-clock challenge where in both matches, She's wrestling them, getting a couple near falls on Flair, getting a couple near falls on Ripley, outlasting them and impressing both of them. That's great because you're building up Nikki Cross. But to do two minutes where all she has to do is run around and avoid Charlotte, like Charlotte is Bobby Lashley and can never be beaten. And that, and like she's Zach Gowen wrestling on one leg. Like it's absolutely ridiculous in my opinion. I'm not giving it a 0.0 because they're using Nikki Cross, but man, it's close to it. I, I, the only thing I'll say is I guess technically they actually made it a beat the clock challenge now because one person in a time limit is not a beat the clock challenge that, that you're supposed to have two matches. Into a you're supposed to set a time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I guess this brings it full, fully around, but no, this is insane. Nikki Cross does not look good for not losing in two minutes to these it's wrestlers. It's ridiculous. Like, like, who is this helping? Everybody looks worse from all of this. And this is a problem where WWE, the WWE of like five years ago feels like nobody, certain people cannot take a loss at all and that we have to completely separate. Like they couldn't just have, I don't know, Nikki, I'm sure I'd complain if Nikki Cross rolled up Rhea Ripley for the win or had a distraction win or something like that, but that's better than this. This is this is complete garbage. Have, have Nikki Cross, yeah, beat some people. Have Rhea Ripley beat some, Rhea Ripley's the champion and has looked like absolute garbage ever since she won that title. She was second fiddle to to Charlotte in the whole build up to the last match. Now she's looking like an idiot for not knowing how a clock works. It's just it's just completely insane. I I do not understand the logic of this at all. That that's the thing. It's like it's almost like they had a good idea in principle, and they're like, we're gonna do a five minute beat the clock challenge, and maybe this is how it was pitched, and then this is how Vince changed it. You know. But it's almost like there was a great idea. 
of someone said, hey, why don't we do a beat the clock challenge where Nikki Cross beats Ripley and Charlotte, and, but without pinning them. That way, yeah. Nikki looks strong and she gets pushed up into a number one contender, but she doesn't have to actually beat the two women, which is kind of a smart, inventive way to do it. And like Vince or whoever is the lead person in charge there is like, that sounds great. Let's make it two minutes. And it's like, no, 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 no. We were talking like five or 10 minutes. No, no, no. Two minutes is fine. Like, no, it's not, right? Like, you got to give the women, forget giving the women's matches time. If you're going to book something like this, the job of the writers and bookers is to get people over and make them look substantial. No one, not Ripley, not Flair, and certainly not Nikki Cross got over from this. And that's a failure by all of them. And since my sound drop was lower earlier and I had to raise the volume, I'm going to drop it one more time. Mark it zero. Mark it zero. Uh, We had Xavier Woods against Randy Orton. Damian Priest was teaching Riddle Spanish backstage when Orton showed up now wearing a goatee. Uh, He reluctantly said Riddle impressed him last week. And since they're going to give this tag team thing a go, he could watch from ringside to learn from Orton as long as he stays quiet. I just love this shit. It's so good. Maybe I can stop asking you this question, but are you all in on this now? I don't know about all in, but I've I've come on. I've been absolutely loving everything about RK Bro. I've been liking Riddle since right before that, when again he changed from being kind of a stoner to being like an interested child, and that's been really funny. And frankly, I'm every time these two are together. I'm only looking at Randy Orton's face to see if he cracks. And I'm wondering, it's incredible. If, I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if they, if this was a second go, a second take because he cracked up the last time they did it or something like that. It's really funny. It's really funny. It's really good together. This has been a good three, four week story. They've been telling with Xavier and Kofi and RK bro and stuff like this. And it's continuing to build over the last couple of weeks. This has been really good. I, I, I love it. You need to buy in. I need you all in. I need you well, going. What does all in mean? What is all in? Does all in mean I want Riddle to 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 wrestle for the WWE Championship at SummerSlam or, or what? No, all in is I love RK Bro, and Adam doesn't need to ask me anymore if I if I still like it. No, you don't. And I I hope okay. RK Bro become. <laughs> I want RK Bro to become uh, tag team champions. You know, maybe okay. by SummerSlam or something like that. Okay, for sure. Good. And and, for sure. and Riddle has grown on you, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. He is, he has found the right. The right balance, I think. It's working. Okay, good, good. All right, so onto the match. Woods against Orton. Orton dropped Woods onto the announce table, but Woods caught him later with a rolling elbow and a sliding face buster. Orton gouged out his eyes and hit a powerbomb, but Woods answered with a Fujiwara armbar. Then came Orton's draping DDT, and he caught Woods off the ropes with bro Derek for the win. Riddle celebrated like he won the lottery, (laughs) but Orton, despite being happy and actually smiling, smiling a little bit, wasn't ready to do the full post-match pose with him. Look, I said it, RK-Bro is outstanding. Orton has been completely refreshed by this coming out of the Fiend feud. He needed something to like cleanse the palate from the Fiend, especially considering the way it ended and how terrible it was. So they've accomplished that. And Riddle is getting legitimate rub from a legend. This to me, top to bottom, week to week, is simply the best thing on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, and, and I mean, you could make a case that it's had the best match of Raw for two weeks in a row, too. I, I, I mean, I really, really like this Xavier-Randy uh, Orton match, just like uh, just like last week with Riddle. Also, shout out, by the way, to Xavier Woods and Kofi for, for the Power Rangers gear. 
I don't know yes. if you noticed it. Xavier it awesome. had the Xavier had the White Ranger, Kofi had the Green Ranger. They're both Tommy and the Power Rangers. Awesome stuff. I popped big for that. It was it was really cool. Are you and, are you a Power Rangers guy? Because I never watched that. I was. I was for the first like four seasons, and and through two movies. I got out during Turbo Power Rangers Turbo. That's I, I never watched Power Rangers. I never had seen like Barney. I, a lot of these things that were staples that like kids around my age watched. I, I just for some reason never saw them. Like I watched the all the stuff on Nick. Like I was like Rugrats yeah. and yeah, okay, yeah. shorts yep, and all that type of stuff is what I love. Doug was incredible. But Power Rangers, I don't know why, but I, I just never ever watched it. Yeah, I think I think Power Rangers was on Fox back in the day. I don't remember, but I that was so, yeah. that was really cool. The match was great. I'm trying to I'm trying to think. There was Xavier looks like an incredible worker that I didn't know he was. Oh yeah, these last awesome. two weeks, and it's got me to the point where I think the New Day are better off as singles wrestlers at the moment. Like they can still be a team. Yeah. But they like Big E, Kofi, and Xavier are all becoming like must-watch guys in singles matches. So I hope they can kind of keep that up, especially as Kofi's kind of been dealing with some other stuff. Again, this is a great like New Day's involved in two different stories. It like it stitches together well, and New Day in different ways helped put over RK Bro over several weeks in a creative storytelling yeah. that doesn't make New Day look bad at all. So this was. Very, very well planned, thought out. And the story they've told over the last four-ish weeks with this sets up RK Bro for, for something big. Raw does get a lot wrong, but you you make a good point. Not just RK Bro, but with New Day, what they have been doing has been really good. And I agree with you. I think New Day staying together, Biggie being an intercontinental slash main event contender on SmackDown, Kofi being a main event contender on Raw, and Xavier being a mid-card contender for maybe Sheamus's uh, U.S. championship, all of that makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. And Xavier Woods, I, I keep calling him Xavier, Xavier, he prefers the X, Xavier. Um, as Austin Creed, I believe, or Consequences Creed yeah. was his old name, yeah. in Impact, I think it was, was yeah. tremendous. And he's getting back some of that, not that he lost necessarily, because he's always been great, even in New Day. And he's always been underrated in New Day because of Big E and Kofi taking a lot of the in-ring spotlight. But him finally getting the opportunity to show this, it's awesome. And I definitely, yeah. to your point, want to see more of it. Yeah, he's not just a trombone guy. You know, He's not just the guy who sits ringside while Kofi and Big E are in the tag match or something like that. And plays it's, video it's, games and stuff. Yeah, or, or, or involved in his own tag match. Like... These last couple of weeks, he has really shined, and I think there's a lot you can do. Obviously, he's he's involved in so many different things, but he's a guy I think can get a singles push and go pretty far. I completely agree with you. Uh, Seth Rollins hit the ring over on SmackDown in a neon tropical suit with a purple <laughs> shirt unbuttoned all the way to his belly button. I just I had to describe that. There's two suits I'm describing on today's show. That's one of them. The other one is what Reginald wore. We'll talk about that later. Um, he challenged Cesaro to a fight, but there was no answer. Then Rollins played a bit of audio of someone groaning from a hospital bed, which was really stupid. Like this yeah. whole segment was actually good, but that was incredibly dumb. And I have no idea why they did that. Rollins then feigned seriousness and reiterated that he blacked out in rage during the match last week, during the attack last week. Uh, but he put all of the blame on Cesaro and the fans saying his hands were clean. 
again, outside of the dumb hospital sound, which was unnecessary. This was a really strong, entertaining promo that succeeded in pushing the storyline forward before they announced what's clearly going to be a Hell in a Cell match in another week or two. Yeah, I, I think the the hospital sound thing just really kind of <laughs> brought it all down for me. Um, so I, 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 it's probably better than I remember it, but that's the only thing I remember from it. Right. And so so, so uh, not great, but... You know, not the biggest deal in the world. Just cut a cut an in-ring promo. Get get to something better and, and 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 move on. So no no other real deep thoughts on it. But but the suit looked great. I, I'm always curious on these things. Like are are they renting them every week or or how is exactly the logistics of of getting those in? It was the same thing with Eddie Guerrero's cars. I'd always wonder the same thing. I'm, I was well, curious the how cars that are easy. So so Car, the cars, that's true. cars are easy. Yeah, the cars. Uh, WWE had dealers in. Um, different cities, wherever they were traveling, they called the head, they got a yeah. car, they, they rented it for the night. Uh, the suits are interesting because, and I've actually had this question about WWE wardrobe for a long time. My understanding is that superstars largely pay for their own wardrobe. Mm -hmm. However, they have wardrobe people backstage who clearly make things. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's a situation of like, they'll make it for you, but if you want something a certain way you can go out and get it on your own. I really am curious and I would love to interview Seth and literally just ask him, we know you get these all from probably one company, right? Are you paying for them? Did WWE give you a wardrobe budget because it's part of your gimmick? Or, you know, like, I just want to know. I want to know the details behind yeah. it. And the only way to know is to actually ask him. But yes, I want to know, like, did they, WWE give him a budget? Does WWE pay for wardrobe and we just don't realize it? Or is it a mix and it really is just based on the individual performer depends who makes their gear, whether they have to pay for it or whether they don't. I I'm very curious to see because we know Bianca Belair makes her own stuff. Yeah, We, we see on WWE documentaries all the time that there's a wardrobe department. Um, I think it was the Batista special that like made oh, yeah, yeah. his gear. Kept tweaking his, his, his shorts. Yeah. Yeah. Before and there the, was before the rumble. He came back. And maybe that's just for fixing and, you know, repairs and stuff. But then there was another one where, like, they talked about wardrobe making something special for one of the women ahead of... A, it was on Told Divas all the time. Big pay-per-view. Yeah. Right. And Mikazi, obviously, is Sasha's husband who works um, in the wardrobe department. So it's just like, I'm, I'm confused by how that works. We know how travel works. We know how that they don't have health insurance. Like, there's so many things. But this is the one thing about wrestling in WWE that I don't fully 100% understand. And I'd love to get a couple people... To explain it to me one day. But yes, Seth Rollins suits are great. And uh, the drip is real and deserves a lot of praise. And anyone who is sick of the drip, you can go to hell because the drip is great. We got drip and drip drip. On, and drip on, drip. On yeah. Raw. It's a lot of uh, yeah. kind of overdoing it, but John Morrison's pretty funny. So I'll, At least I'll, I'll Morrison is saying drip and not like moist. I think he said moist one time. And that's not a word that should be said frequently, <laughs> uh, even though I just said it twice. All right, let's move on. Uh, staying with SmackDown, Apollo Crews against Kevin Owens in a non-title match. So Michael Cole promoted this as a chance for Owens to earn a shot at the Intercontinental title. But Owens was fighting the Intercontinental champion. I hate when they do that yeah. in general, yeah. but to be so blatant about it really, really pissed me off. 
Yep. Uh, Owens, go ahead. Do you have something to say? Nope, just, yep. It, it's, a, it's a common trope they go into. Oh, you pin the champion, you get the belt. No, normally, they don't do that till after the fact. <laughs> right. They don't normally oh, go he in pinned him. Yeah. He should get a title shot. Right. Yeah, it's, hey, if he can beat him, he can get a chance to beat him. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right. So yeah. I hated that it was so blatant where they said, like, they almost said this is a number one contendership match. It was very weird. Owens immediately hit a cannonball and a flying senton for a near fall. Then hit the stunner on Cruz like 60 seconds into the match. But then Commander Aziz shows up and breaks the fall with the Nigerian nail. Owens sold the hell out of the nail as Cole announced that because of DQ, he's now the number one contender. I'm not joking when I say the match lasted as long as the breakdown that I just gave you. This was such a lazy, shitty piece of booking. And there's so many other ways to determine a number one contender. We just came out of a total banger of an Intercontinental Championship match to close SmackDown the week prior. And they follow that up with this absolute garbage. Pierce later banned Aziz from ringside next week. Top to bottom, I just thought this was absolutely terrible. It's so... Point zero. It's just so stupid. Like, just have Kevin Owens fight somebody and say it's a number one contender match. Like, have them fight for something and give... Uh, maybe they didn't have enough time. You know, we talked about the Romans and stuff taking up time, but just, like, why, why do you even put yourself in this position? It doesn't make me... I, I don't know. It was weird. And this is going to start a string of matches we're about to talk here where we have a lot of interference or distraction finishes. It was a common theme, actually, in Raw and SmackDown. We just haven't gotten to them yet. And I think coming off of something like AEW where they don't do finishes like that, although they do do a lot of interference run-ins. Um, it was it was an interesting juxtaposition, I think, between two different companies and how they try to get out of matches. Yeah, it, it just, I was actively angry watching that. And WWE TV has beaten me down so much over the years. SmackDown, don't, yeah. No, no, I know SmackDown's good. SmackDown's, no, I, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. SmackDown's uh, better than that. Like, I, like you're saying you're pissed off. So I'm much pissed, better, exactly. I'm, I'm pissed off just thinking about it again. Like, SmackDown's better than that. I can't believe that's That's the problem. That's exactly what I was getting to. It's that, yeah, WWE's beaten me down so that when I don't like things, I just, I, I, I criticize them and tell you on the show that I don't like them, but I don't go crazy for it. SmackDown has been so freaking good recently. And the IC title Despite, yeah, there's been a lot of rematches. It's been really well done. The ma- like the title matches that they've had and the getting some fresh faces into it, having Big E, you know, have it for a long time, Cruz win it with the new character, Owens now and Zayn getting involved. It's all been really good and exciting. And to follow all of that up with this bullshit, it just really, really pissed me off. And again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. When you spend so much time on one storyline on the show, you don't have enough time to... Do a segment where Owens Owens challenges Cruz and says, I want a title match. And Cruz says, no, but I'll fight you one-on-one and prove that you don't deserve one. Then you do this finish and you have it go five minutes longer than it did. And you do the exact same finish and no one's complaining about it. But because they're giving 60 minutes to Roman Reigns and the Usos, you don't have time to actually explain why the match is happening and allow the match to actually have time in the ring so that when the finish comes, you're not actively angry about it. So yeah, I'm pissed. And you know what? I'm giving it a double one. This is bullshit, man. Because it was really bullshit. Speaking of the mid-card title picture, Sheamus over on Raw cut a promo about Humberto Carrillo and Ricochet being scumbags for ganging up on him last week. I thought that was funny the way he used that word and, and called them scumbags when clearly his character is a scumbag. 
He said he wouldn't fight a handicap match against them, but he would run it back to back so he could send them back to catering, which I always love when they say catering, even though it's unfortunately true, (laughs) usually when that's uh, noted. So we got Sheamus against Ricochet in a non-title match. It was the third time that they fought in 16 days. Creo's music hit two minutes into the match and Ricochet rolled him up for the win. Then we got Sheamus against Carrillo. This was their third match in 22 days. Creo busted Sheamus's nose open hard way style with a forearm right to the bridge of his nose. And afterwards I saw a picture. It looks like it actually got shifted yeah. and he had to probably get it set again. Uh, Sheamus hit a tilting Uranagi, but Creo caught him with a springboard roundhouse kick and yes, rolled him up for the win. They couldn't have at least on a crucifix or an inside cradle or a jackknife cover or any other pinning combination rather than consecutive roll-ups to Ricochet and Creo. I will say that it was a decent enough segment overall because Sheamus is awesome. And I loved the way that he got his nose busted open and he didn't even like pause. He just kept going on with his day. He's such a badass and an awesome dude and wrestler. And like, I could never do that. If I saw blood pouring out of my nose like that, I would run backstage and like find a sink. <laughs> like I'm the, I'm the exact opposite. I'm such a, a bitch like that. Um, <laughs> but, but the booking was so piss poor. And it's another example, Chris, of lazy storytelling. Instead of just letting guys get over by winning legitimate matches, you can do the same booking, but give each of them five minutes and have them win with different pinning combinations. And so you give each, each of them three minutes and you have them roll up the guy. So it was just annoying. Yeah. And like I said, there's interference, distraction stuff going on here. And I really, really like Seamus. I think he's doing a great job trying to get other people over around him. But I have just not been into Ricochet or Carrillo in this bit. It's just kind of been whatever. The only thing I know about Ricochet was that he stole his hat one week and then that was kind of it. Carrillo's just kind of there. There's not Seamus has to carry this whole thing on the mic and it's just kind of, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure a match will be good if we get a triple threat or whatever the heck they're going to do. But I, I, I feel like Seamus needs some more around him because it's I'm just kind of meh on this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it's simultaneously good that they're getting more people involved, but it's bad that they're not really giving a story. And yeah. as we've seen with Ricochet, is he great on the mic? No. But if you do a taped promo backstage. He can deliver something good enough and solid enough for him to be a legitimate mid-card title holder and a guy who can every once in a while kind of level up a little bit. But they got to give him the opportunities. You got to put him on screen. And if you don't want to give him a live mic, that's okay. But figure out ways to tell the story. So again, this isn't bad necessarily because the matches and the action has all been kind of interesting and good between them. And again, it's nice that they're elevating them and getting Creo and Ricochet back on TV and hopefully giving Ricochet a little bit of a push here. But if you're doing it and not letting them actually build themselves up and get over by getting clean wins, and I guess a roll-up technically is a clean win, but you know what I mean, a substantial win where you believe, oh, he actually outsmarted this guy wrestling-wise with his skill and was able to win, then you're not really doing a good job building up your talent, which is what you should be doing. Again, it's the number one goal of writers and storytellers is to get talent over and keep people engaged. And they sometimes do one without the other. And when they do both, the Roman Reigns storyline, that's when we praise them. Yeah. Uh, So let's move over to the Raw tag team title match, AJ Styles and Omas against Elias and Jackson Riker. This was really convoluted and interesting at the same time. 
So Elias is backstage trying to pump Riker up. But Riker stared straight ahead and told Elias that he doesn't know what a battle really is because he, Riker, served in Iraq. And I couldn't believe that they forced a reference to his military service and did it almost in a PTSD-like manner just because of the Memorial Day holiday. Yeah. I, I don't know that it was distasteful necessarily, but it felt unnecessary is the best way I can. I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that is, yeah. that is weird. It was weird. Uh, the champions didn't bring the titles to the ring. At least I didn't see them, but they were somehow found later during the match. I don't know what happened there. Uh, Riker had an American flag on his tights and aggressively tagged himself in, which angered Elias who jumped off the ring apron when he needed a tag later and walked to the back. Omas absolutely beat the shit out of Riker and Styles won with the phenomenal forearm. Elias later said backstage that he respects Riker being a veteran and a quality athlete, but he's too unpredictable. Elias said, quote, the idea of sitting in a car and going town to town for hours at a time next to Jackson Riker makes me sick <laughs> and I don't want to be around him anymore. And that, was that is, le- and that is, first of all, it's a great line, right? Yeah. But it's also a total burial yeah. And it's how most of the fans and apparently a large portion of the talent actually feels about Riker because of his political leanings, comments, a lot of controversial things that he said in the past. So I'm really confused about this entire thing because as Elias was saying that about Riker, WWE piped in booze, but that's a face thing, at least again, to most of the crowd and to the talent backstage. So they're trying to make Elias a heel by having him shitting on Riker, who people non-kayfabe actually hate and in kayfabe don't care one way or another about him. But are they trying to put over Riker just because he's a veteran, like they tried to put over Lacey Evans and that didn't work? So I don't really know even what to take away from this. I loved seeing Omos beat the shit out of Riker. That made me happy. And it was good for the champions to get a clean win over a tag team. That was all good. But if this is supposed to be a Riker face turn, I mean, that's a horrendous decision. No one's going to cheer for him. But maybe it is the write-off. Maybe this is going to lead to him being released like Alexander Wolf's loss did on NXT. So I'm not sure what to think about it, but I just had to get all of that out. I, honestly, my first thought when I saw this was, oh, they're they're kind of burying Riker and he'll probably, they're breaking this off and that they might release him because... You know, there was another kind of round of backstage cuts not long ago, last week or whatever. And I wondered if they just needed a storyline way to get out of this. So I I don't know. It's been very a lot of people were surprised that Riker Riker made it through other cuts this year. So or maybe they're trying to do a a face run. I don't know. A face run is not going to work. We know that. I don't really know what to make of this whole thing other than it was just really weird for a lot of reasons, like you said. And again, this is another match that had a kind of super weird, not clean finish. It was someone someone leaving their tag team partner. Just a, a string of weird finishes we're kind of getting to here. Let's stick with Raw. We had Shayna Baszler against Reginald one-on-one in a scheduled match. Nia Jax was concerned, but he told her to stay in gorilla position. He looked hysterical wearing <laughs> a pink short sleeve blazer and pink <laughs> suit shorts, kind of like Pat McAfee was wearing, you know, back at WrestleMania. And and those were black though. Um, With matching knee pads and a black t-shirt. 
Reginald flipped around and bounced off a shoulder tackle. He body slammed Baszler. She snapped, twisted, and stomped his knee. He had a cool corkscrew crossbody, but landed really badly on a truly awesome looking moonsault. The guy has a great moonsault. Baszler was about to win with the Kirifuda clutch when fire erupted from the ring post again, and Reginald got her in a pinning combination for the win. Not a roll-up, but nevertheless, it was basically, this came immediately after the Sheamus stuff, so we got three basic roll-up type of finishes in a row. This was actually decent. I saw a lot of people shitting all over this, and you know I would normally flip out about Baszler losing to Reginald, but it was blatantly obvious what they were doing and have been doing with Alexa Bliss. Maybe I'm just dead inside with her because of how she's been booked, you know, throughout her run on the main roster. But even though she loses way more than she should, she's also had some really good moments. And I actually liked the interaction between these two in this match. And I found it entertaining. The match was really fun. I like watching Reginald in these intergender matches. They're all really interesting. He, he, He has such a gracefulness in his movements, the, the, the everything just is so fluid. He's really fun to watch just tumble around the ring. It's fun. And I know what they're going for, but him beating Shannon Baszler is just terrible. This also came right after something happened right before this. What was it? It was the uh, Sheamus match. Stuff. It was it was it was showing it was it was Bobby Lashley with all the women backstage. And in oh, okay. shades of remembering the Godfather and the Ho Train and all that stuff. And for that to transition into a women's wrestling match where a man beats a woman was, yeah. was it is it, 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 something that caught my attention when that happened. And obviously, WWE is ahead of everybody else when it comes to women's wrestling. But man, this was not a good stretch here for women in WWE. And just it's ridiculous that Reginald would beat Shayna Baszler. I want Shayna Baszler to be a dominant person going for the championship. They're clearly not going to do that. So I guess I kind of and other people need to just get over it because it's probably not going to happen. But I did like the match. I like watching Reginald in these things, but it really, really sucks to see Shayna Baszler, you know, losing so much and then throwing this on top of it. It's probably something that we need to get over. But I mean, you have to remember when she debuted on Raw, they put her over as dominant as they possibly could in that elimination chamber. Mm -hmm. And people hated it me included it was a terrible piece of booking that elimination chamber and then they had her because she won that elimination chamber match go after becky lynch for the title at wrestlemania and it was a fine match but becky retained i don't know if that was the plan or if they changed the plans because of how baszler's dominance was received but it just when they tried to do that and failed that was basically the end of wwe booking her as dominant yeah once she lost to becky there in the in the performance center WrestleMania that felt like, all right, they're pulling back on her and she's had women's tag titles, but as a singles wrestler, she has not gotten pushed since. Yeah. And as much as I want her to be dominant and I understand the concerns that you gave with Reginald beating her, I think in the context that you put it in, it was worse than if that match had been like the third thing on the entire show. Right. Because when I look at the match, I'm like, look, the fire came out of the ring post. She got distracted and got rolled up. It happens all the time. Sheamus got distracted by Umberto Creo's music literally two segments earlier and got yes. rolled up. So it's like, I'm not going to hate on it that much. But yes, I understand. And I agree. I normally absolutely hate to see Shayna Baszler lose. Now, 
This continued with Alexa's playground, where Alexa invited Reginald to join her. Jax tried to convince him not to go, but Reginald sat there on the swing and he tried to answer Bliss's first question like he was on The Tonight Show or something <laughs> like that. Like it was a real a real talk show. And I thought that was really funny, I have to say. But as he's beginning to answer, Baszler comes in and beats the ever-loving shit out of him, takes his spot on the swing. Bliss said that she wasn't invited because Lily hates her. And Baszler said they need to have a chat next week because her antics, her being Bliss, are getting out of hand. Then she leaned down and told Lily that she's just a stupid doll. I actually thought this was okay also because Bliss, I mean, she's okay, but Baszler kind of played into it and treated it almost as ridiculous as it is to us. I wish I had a stronger opinion on the entire thing, but I guess I just have to say I'm going to wait until I see what happens next week. I'm completely out on the Alexa Bliss stuff until something happens. It's been like literally, literally WrestleMania was two weeks ago, two months ago. Yeah. And we've gotten no explanation of anything. She does. She she does fire stuff. We haven't got any reasoning for anything. I guess she's going to feud with Shannon. We don't even know why. And the production value of Alexa's playground is terrible, it especially is. when you compare it to the Firefly Funhouse. Firefly Funhouse had its own set, its own graphics, its own whatever. Alexa's playground is in the middle of a wrestling ring backstage with WWE logos on the turnbuckles. Like, <laughs> I can't get into it like I can with the Firefly Funhouse. And I think Alexa Bliss is really talented, and I really like her character, but it's been treading water, doing absolutely nothing for two months, and none of the production stuff, I think, is helping at all. It's, I'm, I'm completely out on it until something happens. I'm waiting for it. I've been waiting for two months. Yeah, why would you not spend $1,000, which is all it would take, maybe even less, and build her a little mini set that doesn't include a wrestling ring. That's just a playground or tape it outdoors or tape it in the parking lot. There's a million things that they could do yeah. to make this better and come across better on screen than, they, than it actually does. And you're 100% right about that. One thing I'll say, by the way, uh, before I forget, every single woman on the Raw roster, except Asuka, who's active, meaning not Becky, not Lacey, because they're not, you know, they're pregnant or on pregnancy leave. Uh, maternity leave. Every single other woman was active and used Monday night on Raw. And I no. think they deserve credit for that after all the weeks of us shitting on them for not giving them enough screen time or match time or whatever the case. Every other woman got used this week. And, and, and for what I said five minutes ago about Bobby Lashley and the girls and transitioning that to a man beating a woman. Yes, credit to WWE. They, they like I said, they do lead the way in women's wrestling. And I didn't realize that there were actually that many women segments. So good yeah. for them. Well, it's because they basically it's mostly because they had uh, a women's tag team match on mm -hmm. top of all the other stuff and they used Nikki Cross. But yeah, just Bliss being back and, you know, getting Baszler and Jax on TV plus the other two tag teams. Yeah, they used every active woman that had been on TV recently with the exception of Asuka. And Asuka deserves a break. I know she was backstage, but you don't need to use her every single week. It's She's had been used every week for the better part of 14 months. So it was totally cool not seeing her. Uh, let's bump over to SmackDown. Shinsuke Nakamura fought Chad Gable in a singles match. Rick Boogs had a full like dual speaker setup and shredded the guitar as Nakamura made his entrance. Otis Slam knocked before the bell and Gable took advantage with two belly-to-belly -belly suplexes. King Corbin ran down and stole the crown back as Nakamura countered Gable's wrenching German suplex into a pinning combination. But after he kicked out, Nakamura hit Kinshasa for the win. 
Boogs then hit Corbin from behind and Knock regained the crown before they exited together. This was another match, just going back to what I was saying earlier about Reigns, that was way too short on SmackDown. We finally get Shinsuke Nakamura and Chad Gable. Give them 10 to 15 minutes. At least give them eight or nine minutes. They didn't do any of that. It was way too short. I was just getting a taste for it when they ended it. But it was solid, and the segment was fine. Yeah, I'd love to see more of them, but you know, clearly they're doing the crown stuff. Rick Boogs, super entertaining. Really <laughs> like yeah. to see just he's just he's something different, man. He's 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 doing something different on my TV screen, and it's good and it's interesting, and that makes everything Shinsuke does a lot more interesting. So uh yeah, it's mid-card feud, not much going on, but it's entertaining. That's all you can ask for. Speaking of the men's mid slash low card, we had Cedric Alexander against Shelton Benjamin. And I thought going in that this was the rubber match, which is it basically was. And it's the one rematch series across both shows that makes total sense for it to be rematches because it was 50-50 booking and both matches were really good. So you got to do a third to see who ultimately is the best guy. But coming out of it, I have to believe we're going to get a fourth because after Benjamin booted Alexander at the bell, Cedric delivered a thumb to the eye and hit the neuralizer for a win in like 30 seconds. So I'm curious to see if this is him just getting over on Benjamin and they just said, screw it, that's it, uh, we're going with Alexander, or if they run it back once more and actually end it, which is what I would like, because I'd like to see a real match with Alexander fully going over. And if they are doing that, then I'm wondering why the hell they did this this week when they could have just delayed it and done it next week. So I'm not sure what the booking is exactly, but I continue to like to see Cedric Alexander be a shitty heel and get over on Benjamin. Yeah, you know, last week they did the, the the promo video leading into it that really kind of told you the backstory, and I think that adds a lot. Um, you know, this match was quick, and I don't really know where it's going to go. So, I don't know, there's not much analysis we can really do on, on something not. like that yeah. <laughs> until we see where it goes. So we'll I, tried, goes. I tried, I tried <laughs> to get some analysis. Right. I did the best I could. Uh, going back to SmackDown, we'll talk about the women's tag team division. Natalia and Tamina fought the Riot Squad in a non-title match. It's just, it's freaking crazy to me how little WWE thinks of these women. We haven't seen the Riot Squad do anything since WrestleMania. They didn't get an entrance. The match was already underway when they came back from commercial. Again, talking about the Roman Reigns stuff. Liv Morgan took out Natalia outside and Tamina hit the Superfly Splash on Ruby Riot for the win. Natalia should have been taking out Morgan instead, but we had Morgan looking like an idiot for not ensuring she's able to break the fall and instead just going after one woman while the other woman is beating her partner. This wasn't necessarily bad, like the wrestling was okay, but I just did not like it at all. And now you've had them just cleanly beat another women's tag team that's only one of three remaining besides the champions that should be contending for the title, maybe not now, but maybe next month. Maybe do a singles match, have Natalia beat one of them, have Ruby Riot beat Natalia and then just go forward. I, I I was just so bothered by how stupid the booking was of this match. Yeah, I, you know, I, I keep saying I want women's champions to wrestle matches and win and look to look good. And, and they did that. So credit to that. That's better than the Reginald story we were getting with, with the tag titles, you know, previously. But it sucks that it's the Riot Squad, you know, <laughs> they're the ones that we want to eventually kind of take over. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like 
we're getting too you know, women's tag teams. I feel like they get old quick because they're on both shows and we feel them. We, we the see champions. them a lot. Like I feel like yeah. I've seen Italian Tamina a ton over the last, you know, three, four weeks, even since mania really. And so it's just kind of the larger picture. What do you do with those belts and how do you handle the women's tag division? Cause it's been rough, but I'm not going to, hate on it too much i hate the result but i'm not going to hate on the idea too much well what you need to do is you need more women's tag teams and you probably need to keep the champions on a single brand depending who they're feuding with right and allow the other brand to do women's matches that are not involving a title at the same time yeah they just they do they have always done a terrible job of developing women's storylines that are not about a title exactly and then that's always been a problem now, over on Raw, they did another women's tag team match, Ravishing Glow against the Sexy Muscle Friends. Neither of those are official names, by the way, <laughs> but those are the ones that we're going with. Um, the champions were on commentary, which I think is fine. If you want them to be on the show, they can be on commentary. Naomi hit a cool, it was like a fireman's carry jawbreaker move, then a corkscrew plancha to take out Dana Brooke outside. But Naomi stayed down outside and the Muscle Friends combined for a double team neckbreaker off the shoulders for the win. So my thoughts here, uh, Naomi is just so much better than Lana that even though Lana has improved massively over the last year, she's still at a level where she's dragging Naomi down with her. But this was a decent match. It was somewhat entertaining. And ultimately, the right team won. It did not seem to officially be for the number one contendership, even though that's what Adam Pierce had said like two or three weeks ago. But you have to imagine, considering one team beat the other, that they're now the number one contenders for the titles. Brooke and Mandy Rose continue to look really good together. It's it's clear they're working on their tag team moves and their fluidity in the ring. So again, right team one, totally fine match. And I want the muscle friends, and then I do want the Riot Squad to be going after the titles, and ultimately I'd like one of them to win. But I just feel like the booking of the women's tag team division in totality is rushed. It's like there's never any time to breathe between a new champion or a title match being over and did another feud starting immediately. It seems like those titles get defended more than maybe any other title in WWE right now. Right. And that's, again, because they can only ever build women's feuds around titles. Right. So and, every- there's not, but, and there's not enough tag teams to yeah. make it feel different month to month. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a difficult conundrum, but it's, it's kind of the same thing. We, it's, it's, we're, we're in the same position we were kind of feeling a month ago, just with a different team at the top now. Right. At least, but at least we don't have Baszler and Jax, who, despite me liking them as a team, it just got old, them being champions for so long. Yeah. There was another Eva Marie vignette showing her wrestling in a practice ring. She said she's back to finish what she started and be a voice for the superstars. So I guess that eliminates the idea of her being a manager. Like I keep going back and forth about what these are supposed to mean. I'm not sure how this is going to work with her. Fans really don't like her, and that's good for heel heat. But she also tweeted earlier on Monday before Raw that you were going to see her on Raw. And I thought she was making her debut. Like she was going to show up on screen. That never happened. So I don't know. I don't really have much more to say about it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I hope they do. I, I think, like you said, she has heat and I, there are things you can do with it. But a lot of these promos feel like face promos. So I don't know. I, again, like with Alexa, just kind of wait and see until something happens. We had Lucha House Party against Mace and T-Bar. Another instance of Raw doing a much better job rotating the back end of its roster to make sure they're on TV. We saw it with Angel Garza and Gulak. 
Now we're seeing it with Mason T-Bar and Lucha House Party. I like that they're doing that. They don't need to be on TV every week, but we should not forget they exist for months upon months at a time. The heels promo for Mason T-Bar, it was stupid and forgettable. They were dominant and looked good in the match, uh, hitting high justice for the win. I just cannot believe that they ended Retribution. They haven't changed their names. They haven't changed their gimmicks. Uh, they look the same except for the mask. Why not just take one show and rebrand them and repackage them? It's just so silly because they have great size and talent and they actually wrestle really well together as a Twin Towers type of team. But I mean, call I'd call them the Titan Towers if you still own that trademark. I think it's a great name for them. But you got to get rid of the face paint and you got to get rid of the names. It's hampering them and hindering them. They're more like the Ascension. Like yeah. that's what they feel like now, like a new version of the Ascension. And that failed massively on Raw. So much so that those guys got fired. Dijak should not be fired. This is a guy who's legitimately a great entertaining wrestler. And he can do so much for a guy his size. It's just depressing to see them stuck in this gimmick. Yeah, everything about their pre-match promo felt like 1980s generic tag team. Just like big guys yelling and face paint and off we go. I don't know. I don't really have much to say other than especially Dijak is incredibly talented. If you haven't watched it, go back and watch his matches with Keith Lee and realize what this guy can do. And I feel like they should just do that instead of this. Yeah, have them be athletic big men who can just dominate and be... I mean, they you could build them up legitimately to be a team that takes the titles off AJ and Omas because they're both really big. Yeah. So one of them could kind of neutralize Omas while the other beats AJ Styles, potentially. Um, they could have a great feud with the Viking Raiders, but not as these gimmicks. Speaking, just, I mean, speaking of the Viking Raiders, guys, we haven't seen Russell in several weeks now, I think, right? Yeah, they came back. So the Viking Raiders come back. They have one match. I don't think, I think maybe they did the exact same match the next week they did against uh, Alexander and Benjamin. They did that match two weeks in a row. We yeah. haven't seen them wrestle again, but they were on the show. That's the last thing we're going to talk about. And they did the same thing. They had Jinder with his two guys show up one week and we haven't seen them again. So yeah. like, I, I, I'm okay with them rotating the roster, but you should at least, like we should have at least seen Jinder one more time by now, right? It's, it's weird that we haven't. But yeah, since you mentioned the Viking Raiders, they had a funny interaction with Mansoor backstage. And then Mustafa Ali came in and told Mansoor to be careful and not to trust anyone in WWE. Mansoor asked why then should he trust Ali? And Ali said, now you're getting it. I actually really liked this. As I said earlier, and I, I said just at the beginning of this, Raw used a huge portion of its roster. And they've been doing that for weeks now. There's still plenty of booking to criticize as we did throughout this entire show for Raw. But this is a point that we can legitimately praise them. They have done a very good job using more of their roster. After that one show where it felt like they used a tenth of the guys they had on the entire roster. Just even having Ricochet and Ali back as regulars makes me very happy. So I, the segment was good and getting Ali back on Raw, not just sticking him on main event is always a good thing. Yeah. I mean, not much to say other than good to see other people on there. Um, don't know if anything's going to come of it. It's just weird when you introduce the return of Jinder, introduce the return of the Viking Raiders, and then don't have a plan. That's where it's weird. Like if they're just going to show up like Drew Gulak and have a deal and then they're gone. Uh, fine, but the last handful of weeks we've seen new things introduced and then kind of forgotten. Angel Garza is another, I think. I don't think we've seen him now for a couple weeks. A couple of weeks, right? I think so, two weeks, yeah. And I, I and I liked what he was doing, so I, I don't really know what 
what all the shuffling is ultimately leading to. Well, it's just, it's a, you got a three hour show and you got a lot of storylines that you're continuing that are multi-week storylines to lead to a pay-per-view. And there's others that aren't, that are two or three week storylines. And I'm, I'm totally fine with that as long as you continue it. Yeah. Like if you, if whenever they decide Alexander's done with Benjamin, I'd love to see Alexander and Mansoor do something. Yeah. Right. I'd love to see uh, the Viking Raiders get into something with Mason T-Bar or Lucha House Party. Like mix it up. And that variety by doing that, especially when fans come back, you're going to see people start to get over. And then you can start to roll those people into the title pictures. And that's how wrestling booking works. And for some reason on Raw, for months now, they just were not doing that. And they weren't using like a third of the people that they had on that roster. It's great to see them start to use them. And look, maybe all it had to be was them fire a few people and thin things out to create new spots. I don't know, but I'm glad to see that more people are getting used. Uh, The last thing I had here, and I know I think you had one other thing to talk about before we get out, but right before the show started, WWE hired Jamie Horowitz to be a vice president um, in its uh, entertainment division, obviously. Uh, I'm not sure how WWE can tout workplace culture. Forget about the talent roster. I'm talking about the front office. They always talk about the culture of the front office. And then they hire a guy who had an absolutely disastrous tenure at Fox Sports. Forget about the fact that the website completely got destroyed by his own decision-making and he just killed their product. But he was literally fired in 2017 over sexual harassment allegations. Now, since then, yeah, he's worked for DAZN, but DAZN has been seemingly like a place where some executives who got fired or who had issues will will wind up. And you and I are probably a bit more keenly aware of this situation than others. But after a string over the last few months of really top tier hirings by WWE to kind of make over their front office, this one to me, Chris, is absolutely baffling. I have no idea why they did this. Yeah, it's very weird. If, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy. He was at ESPN when they kind of created Embrace Debate, the Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless type of stuff, all that. Every show is a debate show. He kind of pioneered that. And, and while that helped with ratings, they got heavily criticized for it. Yes. And eventually, I mean, uh, ESPN. Yes. Eventually goes over to Fox, does their large pivot to video where they got rid of all the writers, moved to video. It failed miserably. Then the the, the workplace issues come out and he's fired. It, it, it's interesting because, I mean, Nick Khan gets hired to kind of direct a lot of the operations of WWE. And he's a guy from the media world. He's he's, he's, a, he's a former lawyer. He's was at CAA, the agency. And they're making big pushes into grabbing people from the entertainment world. Adnan Verk, Nick Khan was his agent, you know, at, at one point, I believe. So Adnan Verk comes in, doesn't work. They're, they're, they're clearly really jumping into the entertainment world with a lot of this stuff. And I think it's a lot of it's probably Nick Khan taking over. I don't really know what Jamie Horowitz is going to do. I, I don't think they're going to put together a first take for WWE and have them debate shows on Peacock or something. And even really if you know. did, you don't need him to do that. No, I, I don't really know really where this is going, but it's definitely uh, a strange hire. Yeah, I thought it was incredibly strange. Uh, Something else I think you mentioned uh, to me offline that we weren't sure whether we talked about it on the show or not, because so much happened last week with Adnan Verk being uh, released or parting ways and Jimmy Smith being hired. It came out that Tom Phillips has been let go by WWE, but they never made an official announcement. To your point, this is what you told me. Um, and he hasn't said anything, although he did change his Twitter profile. 
So I do think it's kind of worth noting in, in case we didn't last week, and I may have done it on that NXT and AEW show. I just truly don't remember, honestly. But I do think it's worth kind of going back and remembering, you know, Tom Phillips got hired. Um, he did backstage stuff initially. He worked on a lot of their uh, social media and web stuff. And then he finally got an opportunity to be the play-by-play guy on SmackDown. And he did what I thought was a really good job. Every time that you saw Tom kind of with the handcuffs off, I thought I thought he was solid. I, I actually skipped a step. He started in NXT where he worked with Corey Graves. Yeah. That was pre-Mauro Ronaldo. And they were incredible together. Like they were a great commentary team on NXT. And I always thought them as a pair worked best. But got a SmackDown opportunity. Uh, got taken off SmackDown when they did all the changes with Fox. When they moved Michael Cole over to Fox, did not put him initially on the Raw team. They had Vic Joseph on that team. They decided to change it up. They got rid of Dio Madden from that role. Uh, they And Jerry the King Lawler from that role as well. And they put Tom Phillips in that spot. And he had been running the Raw team for most of the last year until WrestleMania. There's a bunch of things that happened with him backstage over an extended period of time. You know, we don't know how much is true, how much is not true, but some things that were not necessarily the most savvy, savory things, um, but nothing that was necessarily a huge plight on the guy's character. No, I don't mean it to sound that way. Uh, and now, you know, he has just had his role reduced again with them hiring Jimmy Smith and they finally let him go. So, you know, kind of sad to see him go because I thought he was really talented and did a good job on commentary. I never really understood why they kept trying to find ways to not use him on whatever brand Michael Cole was not on. But ultimately, Chris, that's the decision that they made. Yeah, just strange. I, I, assuming it's official or will be official at some point, I don't know. Usually when these things happen, like, you know, they announce it. Adnan Verk was announced right away. Um, so I don't really know what's going on. But yeah, surprise. I mean, he always felt like the mini Michael Cole, the next Michael Cole. Every Everything about him was, was, was just like that. He seemed like to be the future of the company from a commentary standpoint. So... Yeah, not sure if anything else happened, but very strange and, and very unfortunate. And, you know, Peter Rosenberg, who works the pre-shows, raves about Tom Phillips, calls him one of the most talented guys in the company. So, um, yeah, just kind of a surprising and an unfortunate end to, I think, a guy who has a lot of talent and clearly had a lot of, done a lot of good in WWE, but uh, seems like that's over. So, too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. And that is a guy, you know, I don't say it about everyone that WWE gets rid of, um, but there's a lot of repetitiveness on the AEW commentary teams. I know they try to mix them up a little bit uh, across the elevation and dark. And I know like Taz does one and big shows on the other or whatever, but from a play-by-play standpoint, having mostly JR and Tony Schiavone do all the work, they could really use another guy. Tom Phillips would be an excellent hire, whether it's for the rampage show, whether it's for the dark shows. Another option is impact, which always seems to need a, legitimate, full-time, great top-tier play-by-play guy, I would immediately make Tom Phillips an offer and have him take over on Impact. So if he wants to stay in wrestling, he should have some options. And if he doesn't, I think he once called the Cleveland Browns for a radio station over in Cleveland. Hopefully he has some other opportunities in sports and entertainment as well. So certainly wish him the best. And um, yeah, sorry to see him go. That's definitely unfortunate. And it, but, yeah, and, and last we're 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 out of time here, but we know listeners we need to talk about the biographies on Annie. <laughs> I'm almost caught up. Adam's a few behind. Um, a few. I, I'm four behind, folks. <laughs> I I just I can't find the time to watch them. And by the way, so it's we have to watch the A and E biographies. Yes. We also need to watch. I don't know if you do previously if you've seen the other seasons, 
the dark side of the ring. Yes, I've watched most of them this season. And I've I don't have, I don't even have Vice. So I actively, mm. I usually wait until the season's over. I actively go and try to like find a place where I can get them without having Vice. Um, because even using the Vice app and like if I used a friend's login, it's absolutely terrible. So I have to watch four A&E biographies. I have to watch Vice. I still haven't seen the RVD special that they did, which I love RVD on WWE Network slash Peacock. Um, and there may even be one or two more shows on Peacock that I haven't seen yet that I need to. There's, so, the, tre- there's a treasure show, which I've only seen a couple. I think it's OK, but the biographies have been really good. Yeah, the treasures, I've seen those just because it's good background noise because yeah. it's like just a stupid kind of show. Yeah. The biographies I want to watch. Like I need yeah. to sit down, invest 90 minutes, you know, without commercials and actually watch those. Um, but we will get to them. Yes, we'll figure it out. It's tough because coming up on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, I mean, you know, this week uh, the schedule is a little bit weird, right? Because AEW is doing Dynamite once again on Friday. I was reminded of that by a listener. I'm sorry, I forgot who you were, but thank you for reminding me. So the rest of this week, uh, Wednesday morning, I'm going to do an NXT recap and then either Friday night uh, or possibly Saturday morning sometime on Saturday. I'll do a separate AEW recap this week. If Chris happens to catch up and watch, he'll be able to join me for either of those. Next week is NXT TakeOver in your house, which means we're going to have an ultimate preview episode, possibly interviews. The following week is WWE Hell in a Cell, which means we're going to have an <laughs> ultimate preview and probably interviews plus instant analysis for both of those events. So I just don't know when I'm going to watch or when we're going to be able to talk about these freaking biographies and all these extra shows, but I will do my best to find some time to get them. Yes. It, dude, it's hard to find time. There is not enough time in the day. Plus, plus again, playoffs are going on. So we're watching that at night too. It's, it's a lot, but we do want to get to them and talk to them. Uh, talk about them as all or something. Yeah. Well, my Knicks are almost out of the playoffs. And once that happens, so is the Silver King. He's done watching the playoffs too. So, th- you know, that is true though. That has taken a lot of time as well recently. That would technically, theoretically open up some time. But that's the schedule for the rest of this week and next week. Just to reiterate, NXT show on Wednesday, AEW show on Friday or Saturday, most likely Saturday, given the fact that the thing ends at midnight. And then the following week, it's NXT TakeOver week. The week after that, WWE Hell in a Cell League. So tons of wrestling coming to you on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And to thank us for giving you this high quality, as an old man used to say, performance enhancing audio. Let me tell you how you can thank us. By remembering it's all about the five and Going back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by heading over to Apple Podcasts, dropping a five-star rating and review to tell people why you love this show and help us jump up those rankings. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So that's it. It was a big WWE show today. Two more this week and a huge rest of the month when it comes to professional wrestling podcasting. I will leave you for the day for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King Adam Silverstein. And you know I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.